Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 386th edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We're broadcasting in this our ninth year right across the world from our studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California, where technology meets entertainment. Well, the 400th show is up, coming up pretty soon, so I'd better start planning to make sure we got something special going on for the 400th show. Now, the college admission scandal in America, and I'm sure the same sort of thing goes on elsewhere in the world is repugnant. It's totally immoral, apart from being illegal. So for everyone who's got a child going to college in the next few years, and every teenager looking to go to college, I've got a fantastic interview segment today that is a must listen. Pamela Donnelly is the founder and CEO of Gate College System, and she's one of America's foremost strategists in college admissions. So I'm really proud of this interview. We had a big chat the other day and we talked about pretty much every angle of this scandal and we'll bring that to you straight after the break. Now, technology has caused massive change in business models, in consumer behaviour, in preferences, in brand interactions. Disruption to the established order cuts across generations and so does the differences in each generation's approach to technology, to information flow, and therefore business models and interactions with customers. So not surprisingly, I guess, an extensive new surveys found the digital natives of Gen Z, now they're people born between 1996 and 2010, born with an iPad in their hands, are far more connected to their devices and online lives than older generations like baby boomers and Generation X. The survey revealed that 55% of Gen Zs can't go more than five hours without internet access before it becomes very uncomfortable, while 22% can't go more than an hour. Without feeling, t- without feeling totally disconnected. God, I'd like to throw mine over the cliff. However, 16% of baby boomers say they could go without the internet for more than a week. Easy. So the survey shows that Gen Z is empowered, it's connected, it's practical, it's empathetic, and they're self-starters who want to stand out and make a difference in the world. The survey also showed that 66% of Gen Z would rather have unlimited access to the internet than have a university degree. I think it's probably, I think unlimited access to the internet is probably better for you and better for for your business life too, I think. Georgia Tech's recognised this with the recent renovation of its library, moving 95% of all books off campus. This change recognises that the world of scholarship is digital, it's not analogue, so to be part of the scholarly 
community for a few years or for the rest of your life, this is where the world is going and you have got to be a part of it. You have no choice. The desire for internet connection and the inability to go hours without connection suggests that this would be an issue for Generation Z and their employers. You would think that it would cause all sorts of problems, but consistent studies have shown that Gen Zs are a generation of highly educated, technologically savvy, innovative thinkers. Gen Zs are realistic, they're goal-oriented innovators, and they're constantly connected and ambitious. Gen Z's very different approach from other generations and their connection to the internet is likely to result in runaway creative growth, an explosion of creative growth, and a digital explosion that dramatically changes the future of our digital and physical worlds. I, for one, have huge confidence in Gen Z's. I reckon that, you know, considering the what I consider to be the lousy job we did, I think Gen Zs are terrific. From a business perspective, when asked what they associate the internet with, 94% of baby boomers say email and search informational tools. But 89% of Gen Zs say social media and entertainment or content websites. So there's a big difference. Gen Zs are saying social media and entertainment or content, and baby boomers are saying email and search. That's quite a dramatic difference. Gen Zs are more likely than members of any other generation to provide their personal data to receive a more personalised digital experience over an anonymous one. And the survey showed that 36% of Gen Zs expect the internet to predict what they need and alert them before they need it. Additionally, 44% of Gen Gen Zs would actively stop visiting a website if it didn't anticipate what they needed, liked or wanted. See, I think people of my generation are very hesitant about giving too much information on the internet. And I'm always telling people, you know, give away as little information as you can, but Gen Zs don't agree with me. They are quite happy to fork over their information. And it's worth noting that 63% of Gen Zs are more likely to buy from a company that contributes to social causes, while 27% have stopped buying from a company that contributes to a cause that they disagree with. That's interesting. They're much more socially conscious than the generations before them. And Gen Z is the first generation to intrinsically combine the digital and the physical worlds And they're bringing the rest of us along for the ride. From now on, the digital experience will be synonymous with our human experience. And that's quite a change from where we've we've been. Now, do you get my daily 30-second read business newsletter? We now have about somewhere over 1.7 million daily subscribers. It takes just 30 seconds. And every day we tackle a different subject from advances in medicine to new apps to new technology to Hyperloop, autonomous cars, blockchain, cryptocurrency, cryptocurrency. We cover the whole lot and it's free. Today's newsletter just discusses how Amazon's grossly business is exploding. 
Prime now is available from the 500 Whole Foods stores in 63 cities. Amazon now operates a total of 10 cashier and staffless Amazon Go convenience stores, and they're planning for 3,000 outlets. And Amazon's grocery sales surged 45% last year and 60% in the year prior. So to keep abreast of all new developments in business and technologies and ensure that you're able to compete in this ever competitive world, you must get the Bob Pritchard newsletter. Simply go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and subscribe. And if you want to unsubscribe, which nobody ever does, I think we had one unsubscribe last month out of 1.7 million people, and we had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of new subscribers. So you just tick the unsubscribe, and you are instantly off the list. So there's no – I've got some of these bloody emails that come that you can't get rid of them. No matter what you do, you cannot find a way to get rid of them. Well, with mine it's easy, but fortunately nobody wants to. Now, my interview guest after the break is Pamela Donnelly. She's a fantastic lady and she's one of America's foremost strategists in college admissions. We have a, a really good exchange, I think. And I'm sure you'll enjoy it. So this is Bob Pritchard, and I'll be back with Pamela in just a moment. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. Now, for the past eight years, God, eight years, doesn't seem like that long, we've given you an insight into the lives of somewhere around 410 of the world's most successful and interesting business people. We've talked about the services they provide, the challenges that they faced, how they've overcome them. And I guess at the end of the day, we, we try to work out what it is that makes them tick because only about two out of every hundred new businesses succeed. And that's a pretty scary thought. So obviously the people that we interview are the people that are among the 2% that have been successful. So I urge you, as I always do, 
to listen to interviews with successful people, buy their biographies or the autobiographies, and take it in, because you don't want to make the same mistakes that they've made and have solved. You want to try and there's enough there's enough challenges as it is without repeating mistakes that other people have made. But for most people, before you become that entrepreneur or that corporate exec, you need to get through college. And if you are an entrepreneur or a corporate exec, you um, are worried about how you get your kids through college. And so anybody who is a parent of teenage kids or is hoping to be is affected by this story we're about to talk about. And as a parent who went through the anguish of getting incredible references just to get my son into private high school before you get to bloody college and then getting tutors and finally crisscrossing the country for weeks visiting colleges, I'm really pissed off with the college admission scandal which demonstrates, to me anyway, that people with means can game the system. I'm not furious because it actually hurt me or my son because it didn't, but because it concerns me because it's repugnant to me. It's totally immoral, apart from being illegal. Apart from being a very good friend of mine, Pamela Donnelly is the founder and CEO of Gate College System, Inc. She's a very moral person, one of America's most foremost strategists on college admissions. She's also a number one best-selling author and keynote speaker and a summer cum laude graduate of Columbia University in New York City with a degree in secondary education. Pamela is one of the most in-demand private SAT and ACT tutors in Los Angeles and began developing the curriculum which would grow to be the Gate College system. In 2012, Pamela opened the Valley Prep Tutoring Services with eight tutors and now leads a team of 40 top educators offering in-home counselling and tutoring services. And I know how important this is and how much difference it could make to your child. You know, it's there's a lot of pressure on kids today, not only at college, but at high school. And I found with my son, my son was severely dyslexic, and I found that... Um, Good private tutoring was, it's been everything about what's made him successful. He's now very successful at, at Google in Silicon Valley, and he wouldn't have been without private tutors. Now, Pamela's first book, SWAT Team Tactics for Getting Your Teen Into College, went to number one on the Amazon bestselling list in education, and following the release of a second book, Four Keys to College Admissions Success, Pamela has become the go-to academic expert trusted by parents from coast to coast. Now, she knows what she's talking about because she's a mother of three who reminds other mothers that we're all in this together. When her oldest daughter was applying to colleges, even with all her professional knowledge, it was a bit overwhelming. And she doesn't want you to have to feel that way. She is, so she's here to hold your hand through the entire process. She's a wonderful lady. I'm proud to call her my friend. And she's also um, a good attendee of Metal, which I talk about on this program lots. Hi, Pamela. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Great to have you on. Lovely to be here. Hi. Hi. 
it's good, it's really good to good to speak with you. It's fantastic to have you on the program. I'm so pleased to be here, and especially given what's been in the news this week, I knew it was inevitable that you and I would connect. <laughs> yeah, again. Um, so, yes. What was your first reaction when you heard of this scandal? My first thought was, well, it finally happened. I knew it was inevitable, and here it came. Yeah. Tell me, why would people – I remember all the pain and anguish I went through with, with just getting Hunter into Viewpoint and all the stuff you have to go through and then trotting around the country doing the college tours and looking for the best college and all the applications and everything else – why the hell would you do it the ethical way when it just seems so easy to use financial influence to gain a position in college? I mean, buying a library or bribing someone or paying somebody to sit for your child exam or photoshopping your kid's head on Serena Williams' body has got to be a downside <laughs> easier, doesn't it? You know what, Bob? Let's take a step back and think about the message that we send as parents to our, our sons and daughters, right? Yeah. I, I think the most disturbing part of this story is the breach of the relationship between parents and their kids. I mean, not just the shame and the embarrassment of it, but really um, the, the need to be able to so, somehow substantiate the fact that you kind of didn't believe your kid had it in them to do it on their own. And, and, and really what a, a false message that is when you're trying to raise a kid who's independent, not codependent, right? So I think it's quite disturbing. Apart from the breakdown in trust between parent and child, um, there's also there's an enormous breakdown between the trust between society and colleges. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's the big – that's the headline – um, but when you were, uh, you know, asking your question, what came to my mind for me foremost, again, because you, as you mentioned, I'm a mom of three daughters, they're grown and flown, but I, I certainly have been through this myself. And again, as a college access specialist, I mean, I'm literally working on a dissertation right now in my PhD program, and it's on college access in the digital age. And, and as I think about this degree in global leadership that I'm pursuing, the economics of this uh, we can look at the cultural impact. We can look at the political impact. Like, what is it that is so broken in America's college admission system that has allowed us to come to this rueful day that we now have to literally, I think, not just reimagine the system. I think we need an entire new paradigm, um, which is why I'm really advocating for some transformative leadership around the entire the entire ecosystem of how higher education happens in this country. We have to do better. Is the main driver the fact that successful and wealthy parents see college and even high school that their teenagers attend as a status symbol for themselves? Is that the main driver? You know, it's not so much, it seems to me, it's not so much about the kid, it's about the parents being able to brag. You know, I can never know what's in the mind or heart of another person, but I will say that there is a tremendous legitimization uh, that has come out culturally over these last, you know, 30, 40, 50 years. The idea that not only do we say that we want kids to get into colleges, but there's almost this uh, fetishization of brand name colleges. Like, you don't, it's sure. not enough just to get into a college. You have to have sort of, you know, a, a Chanel college, a Louis Vuitton college. <laughs> so uh, there is, I think, some of that connected to fear. I, I see uh, the two levers here as scarcity and, and surplus. 
And I, I really do see that this, we can look at the economics of this as an equation that has to do with commodification. We're talking about the commodification of college. And the question I would ask you is, do you think education is a product? It's interesting. That's a big question. Yeah, I've always thought that the better the college, the better the high school, the better the education. And I know, you know, Viewpoint School in Calabasas is very highly regarded. And we busted our ass, and I remember even trying to get a, 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 um, um, a letter from the governor just to get my kid into high school. I mean, sh- because I just felt it was the best school and it was worth all the pain and anguish and all the busting your ass to do it. Um, and then the same with when he went to college. So uh, I think the perception that the education level of education you get in various colleges and various high schools is um, is a major driver. For sure. If you think about, like, but you're saying what is best, right? Like, so, yes, Viewpoint is a great school. Interesting side note, uh, my first business here in L.A., Valley Prep Tutoring, worked with the principal's daughter and helped her get into an Ivy League college a couple of right. years ago, right? So, okay. you know, the the influence, you know, I actually happen to live in that in that area as well. You know, the influence of um, having the economic means to be able to have that additional support for AP physics and high-level courses is absolutely going to improve outcomes for those who are able to afford it. And I'm not saying that's bad. Let's not vilify people who have means. Uh, certainly, we live in a capitalist society. We understand that, you know, that there is such a thing as, you know, aspiring, um, you know, and, and in many cases, you know, may the best man win in terms of who's got those resources. But boy, when it breaks down in terms of something as important as education, yep. um, I think we have to go back to the question, what is best for a student? And best is not a sort of a, a one-to-one ratio for every kid. So Viewpoint may have been a great school for your student. Um, but when we think about college, maybe high school or college, uh, each student is going to have a what I call a right fit, right? And, yep. and right fit takes time. Uh, we currently have in this country, uh, people are very surprised to hear this. You know, uh, the, the National Association of College Admissions Counselors says that the average in a public school should be no more than 250 students to one counselor. Um, you can imagine how overwhelming it would be, Bob, if I said to you, hey, here's 250 kids, go get them into college. Yeah. Um, but the national average, uh, the national average is actually, are you ready? 482 to 1 in public schools. So I don't want to talk about private schools. I want to talk about what's happening for students who are coming from way behind, the kind of kids that work their butts off and then end up being displaced in a scandal like this because somebody with means gained the system. I really am very committed to thinking about how public school students are able to access the same resources that the wealthy have had uh, throughout time. Have you had many people, uh, many parents ask you to um, pull levers to get their kids into um, into various <laughs> particular schools or colleges? Every, every week of my career. Uh, I opened Valley Prep in 2012. Um, and I have to tell you, it was less than a year later that I had begun to build out uh, my initial architecture for what became my second business, uh, which is Gate College System. I know we'll talk about that in a little bit. Mm. But, you know, it was really actually uncomfortable for me 
that um, these parents were paying $150 an hour to work with my staff, uh, and yet I was getting phone calls from moms at the local public school saying, my son is a really good student, can you help us please, he needs some help. And you know, they couldn't even begin to approach being able to afford those kinds of rates, but that is the going rate for a tutoring agency in you know any of the major cities across America. Yeah. So I started to really noodle on that, like how can I, how can I ma- make myself available to every mom who wants to have support for her kid? And I really started to think about, we need to do this in the public schools. I started building this out um, you know, pretty much five years ago uh, incorporated gate in 2015 um, and your intro was really talking about the business of uh, whatever the expertise is of the folks you have on your show I've really had to figure out a business model uh, that would work so that gate could be a viable business but more importantly that it would do the job that I wanted which sure. is helping students at scale we really are so excited about what we're rolling out now I've had a number of people ask me over the last few days since this is all blown up um if the whole issue is not simply being blown out of proportion because at the moment it only involves 50 or so people i know i've heard stories that there might be 700 people involved but out of 20 out of 20 million students in college isn't 50 or even 700 an infinitesimal number i mean or is this just the tip of the iceberg I appreciate that it's the it's the um, morality that counts, but does it really affect little Johnny from getting into into college? I think that the scope of this is going to be revealed over the coming weeks. Um, I'll tell you, my phone rang off the hook to the point where I finally, uh, my speaker agent has now um, connected me, and I just signed paperwork this week with a, a PR team. Uh, because there is so much demand for somebody who knows how to speak about this uh, from sort of the data and the research on what's going on. Here's what I can tell you. Um, The independent counselor groups uh, are being put on the defensive right now, which is so unfortunate. Um, These are organizations uh, that are affiliates of people who do this ethically. I mean, I I, want to say 99% of the people out there are not offering services to write essays and game the system. Um, These are good-hearted people, usually retired teachers who then go into counseling, build out, you know, uh, little mom-and-pop counseling services, and and they make their living helping a small number of students go through. There's nothing unethical about that. Um, The problem comes in when there is uh, an unfair advantage. Um, You know, you've got somebody who's already... You know, with $50 million, their kid's already been born into so much privilege. And then you're just going to take that even further and, uh, you know, game the system to give even further advantage. Uh, I think that's the part that when you use the word repugnant, um, I I see a lot of shame-based messaging in the media right now. You know, like shame on these parents, shame on these kids. You know, listen, there's shame to go around because we as a society have let this country get to a point where the college admissions process is absolutely, undeniably uh, being run by corporations. And so when you've got a financial motivator that is driving everything going on, whether you're talking about SAT and ACT, whether you're talking about what happens in essays coaching, whether you're talking about Division One, Two, and Three sports and the athletic uh, track that we've heard about in the scandal, yep. all of that has economic drivers. So we have to understand that we as a society are culpable. I think throwing all the blame on a couple of moms 
uh, is is really uh, salacious and not fair. I think we all have to own this problem, and together we need to solve it. I, I, I'm a bit different than you. I think throwing the blame on those couple of parents is, is very justified, but we should be sharing the blame, I agree. Um, I, I don't. What I don't understand is how the admission system works because I had a look at um, USC just a couple of days ago and 64,000 students applied to USC this year and USC in their documentation says we conduct a comprehensive holistic review of each application and consider academic and personal characteristics right that's a bit of work 64,000 students now the administrative admissions office sorry gave just 10 minutes to these 64,000 students it would take one person six and a half years to consider them and that's full time. <laughs> so our admission office is just totally overwhelmed by the sheer number of applicants. And therefore, if you're half clever, you can get something past them. You know, USC is an interesting example. Um, they are not a test optional school. So what they're doing is they might get 64,000 applicants, but they have to sort, sift, and separate into piles. So for schools that are not test optional, uh, that, that SAT or ACT score is, is literally one of the first things they look at along with the GPA. Sure. Um, the GPA, because of grade inflation, can be uh, also weighted in different ways based on their perception of the rigor of the school that is, uh, you know, the high school from which the student is applying. But USC right now has about an 18% acceptance rate. Right. So that is considered to be uh, a selective slash highly selective school. Not Ivy League selective, but pretty far up there. Yeah. Um, so you're going to have to come in with a pretty solid ACT score or SAT score uh, to be able to get. So even if you've got all these extracurriculars and I did all this volunteerism and I'm a great kid and let me tell you about myself. If you think anybody's reading your essay before you get separated by those numbers, uh, you're right that the departments don't have the manpower or the budget to support expanding that manpower um, in almost all cases, with the exception of some of the smaller liberal arts schools. They say that they it's a holistic view and they look at your personal characteristics and what you do in the community. I know when Hunter applied, uh, he went to college in, in um, Washington, D.C., and I won't necessarily go into the college, but good one, um, and a lot of it was based on how much community work he'd done and what charities he'd worked for and a whole range of other stuff. But I just wonder, how does any admissions officer um, act fairly across such a vast number of applications? I'm telling you right now that my experience, and again, my company um, at Gates, we, we actually have people on our staff who have works on the other side of the desk in major colleges and universities. So what I'm sharing with you is stuff that we do share in, in our uh, platform so all students are aware of this. Those numbers, it is a numbers game, that first cut before you're going to have a deep read and then a second or third read on your essays and all those other things that are what we might think of as the human factor of an application. That comes later. Listen, if you don't have a 30 or a 33 on the ACT at USC, the odds of somebody reading your essay when you're submitting a 19 on that score um, are, are slim to none. I'm not saying that they don't do it. Please, I don't want to get email from 
any particular <laughs> university. Uh, but I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm making a general statement, not about a specific school, but saying that uh, what we see out in a, a broad swath of both public and private schools, state schools, you know, the, the whole system um, is, is incredibly challenging from the university side. Keep in mind that universities are a business. So from their perspective, you know, every time they hire somebody to work in that admissions office, they've got to pay that person, which means they've got to have enough money coming in on student uh, tuition uh, to help pay for that unless they have very deep endowments like some of the Ivies and Stanford and so forth. So, again, the economics drive this as well. Um, it's a very expensive thing if you're saying that every single piece of collateral that a student submits, every teacher recommendation, every nuanced little piece for 64,000 kids, I dare say no one would ever purport that that's what's going on. Yeah. So is it time that the whole SAT, ACT test um, system is scrapped? Is, do we need a whole new system? Wow, uh, this is a very controversial question. Um, I will tell you what others in the field are saying. Um, there are major concerns about racial bias and a lot of research that shows um, that students coming from first-generation backgrounds, um, English language learners, et cetera, et cetera, tend to perform quite a bit lower on those exams um, as compared to uh, their peers who have more privilege. Um, I can tell you that, um, you know, from my perspective, uh, the T the testing piece is, is one piece of a holistic approach that is more appropriate than just staring myopically at a test score. Um, in fact, T is what, you know, the T in the word gate, which is our acronym, it's one, it's one fourth of the whole story. But um, I don't think these exams are going to go away, Bob, anytime soon. But I will say this. Um, it is time for us to reevaluate uh, the value of the human piece as students are applying to colleges, um, not just the scores, that we see those scores in context for who the student is um, more uh, three-dimensionally. Um, and yeah, I think it would be wonderful if both ACT Incorporated and the College Board, which owns not only the SAT, but they you know, oversee the Common App and, and AP courses, yep. all of the AP uh, programs that students take in school. Listen, um, they, these are huge players. These, you know, College Board is a nonprofit. Um, but they're very profitable nonprofit. Yeah. So, um, you know, I know people who work at these organizations uh, at, at the senior level. So I do have to be um, diplomatic as I share my own perspective. I'm trying to give you sort of a broad view that all the people who are in my industry, um, I certainly I go to a lot of conferences, you know, I speak, I, I'm constantly uh, networking within, um, you know, those who are in, in this uh, vertical. I'd say that you know, we all know that, listen, fairtest.org, take a look at that website. Uh, over a thousand schools uh, are, are now test optional. Uh, right. that, was, that number was about 600 two years ago. So right. there is a trend toward test optional. And, and what SAT and ACT are doing, just FYI, is now there's kind of a turf war. They are literally getting full state to purchase their exams. And so that like the entire state of North Carolina will take the ACT and there is no SAT there. And if you look at a map, I could show you, uh, you know, which states have gone to which uh, testing uh, platform. And those are now being done in the public schools from the state board of ed, passing that down as this is what we're doing here. So that is how they're sort of pivoting their business model is they're, they're going to a state by state um, sort of strategy. 
Is that a good thing? I, 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 I continually hear about um, the education systems really just dumbing down America. How much truth is there in that? I hope it's not true, but I got to say we can do better. Um, I think that teachers are so terribly, listen, I started off as a classroom teacher uh, for a number of years before I went into counseling, eventually opened up Valley Prep, eventually opened up Gate. Um, I can tell you as somebody who is, who is out there with 150 kids, 30 kids at a time, five periods a day teaching in high schools, you know, both public and private. Yeah. Um, that's some humbling work. And I'm going to tell you right now, when you're making like 40000 a year to pour your heart out like that, and, you know, I, I don't think we give enough credit to the incredible integrity and the role of teachers in this country. Um, I don't think they want to dumb down the system, but it would be nice if we could pay them better. It would be nice if we sure. could respect them more. It would be nice if um, if students could see um, that we as a society uh, value education in a way that right now, um, I hate that all this focus on name brand colleges and the scandal almost makes it sound like, hey, guys, never mind all that education stuff. Just get the piece of paper so you can go work for Facebook or something. Like, I don't even know, which, of course, is ironic because Facebook, we all know the story with Zuckerberg, right? Yeah. So, uh, but my, my point being, you know, they're, they're, the idea of there being a shortcut to what an education is supposed to give you um, is, is false. There is no shortcut. The whole point of an education is to wrestle and to think critically and to really to read and contemplate and write. And if you don't want to do that, please go do that. Please go to a vocational school. Help us with other things we also need as a society. And that's wonderful. That's valid, right? Not every kid should be going to college. We need plumbers and electricians and people who Couldn't can fix cars. More. We need, yeah, right? You know, it's, it's, it's like you have college more. for everyone is, right, it's crazy, right? Like, it's not just about college. But, uh, yeah, those are my thoughts on that. Okay, so is the answer for... Um the admission system to add, you know, you've got your SATs and your ACTs to add an additional, so you can go back to some sort of test or qualification system that measures the person holistically of what they do and what they're, you know, what good is, how good they are as a citizen and all that sort of thing as, as a third leg equally as important. Is that yeah, I think different colleges, yeah, I, I love that. I love what you're saying. Um, different colleges have different sort of criteria and theses, if you will, of how they think about who they want in their student body. They all want to look at community service. They all want to look at, you know, what the student did in the summers between 9th, 10th, 10th, 11th, et cetera. You know, they want to understand who this person is. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so there's always a, you know, like a possibility of interviews, for example, with alumni, uh, there, there is all of that going on, um, but because that's not woven into the public school system as something that every kid in every high school in America knows about, they don't understand. By the time they're in ninth grade, they don't. If you don't get a kid by the time they're going eighth into ninth, that is a critical turning point, especially if you're talking about a first generation kid. If their parents haven't gone to college, and by the way, my parents didn't. Um, people ask me sometimes, like, why did you start Gate? Why are you so Excited? Why is this so? Why are you so passionate about this? Because I grew up in a home where my parents loved me to pieces, but they didn't know how to help me. And set. so, even though I was a great student, I couldn't go to college, Bob, because nobody helped me figure it out. So well, I did go, and as you know, but it now, took me a lot of years to figure that out. You know. Now, um, I heard you say before, the weight of all this shouldn't come down on a few parents. 
What do you think should happen to the parents and the kids involved in this scandal? You know, um, because I actually personally know at least one of the individuals named, I'm not going to be able to comment uh, specifically, but I will say um, I believe in due process and I believe in justice. I do believe that if a student was uh, brought in on false uh, pretenses, uh, they should not. I think that diplomas that were awarded would need to be nullified. And I think that if somebody is currently a student, um, they need to be they need to be uh, pulled so that somebody who is more deserving gets that spot. Um, but okay. I don't know um, all those particulars, so I, I can't opine in, in with a specific case. Well, we don't we don't have a disagreement on that. So. Well, I agree with you totally. <laughs> I thought that might have been a bit yeah, of a I mean, friction how point. Many, but no. How many kids, right? How many kids were trying for that spot? Yeah. Um, and, you know, let's, let's, let's throw a celebration and let's celebrate not just one student getting one kid's spot, but let's as a society turn our attention. Let's imagine a world, Bob, where literally coast to coast we can have pictures of first-generation and disadvantaged kids fanning out letters of admissions, acceptance to schools of their choice with pride on their faces because somebody gave enough of a damn to help them when they were in their public schools to show them the step-by-step process. If somebody can give that to a kid, how cool would this world be if we could actually fulfill this thing we used to call the American dream? Just quickly going back to um, the admissions situation, do do all the colleges or the major colleges in America rate high schools? I mean, if, if they get an application from somebody from Viewpoint in Calabasas, does that person have a better shot than, say, somebody at Antelope Valley High School simply because of the name of the school they went to? No, they don't. And, in fact, um, there are ways that uh, colleges are able to wait. They, they have longitudinal data of students who have come out of these schools they do have a way that they are able to assess, uh, for example, a 90 coming from one school may actually be bumped down to a 70 if they know that a lot of great inflation has happened historically with the school. These, these colleges and universities have gotten very uh, careful and clever about how they're uh, leveraging uh, big data and um, looking o- across time at students who have come in and how they've done in their colleges with those grades as they came in. So, um, you know, name brands does have some prestige. Um, certainly here in Los Angeles, um, you know, you can think about uh, schools like Harvard-Westlake, Campbell Hall, yeah. Marlboro, Archer School for Girls. These are, you know, $40,000 a year schools. Uh, the colleges know that. I think that if we were going to tell the real truth, um, knowing that you've got a parent that can afford to spend 40 times 4 for ninth through 12th grade, so 160 k has already gone out the door, might give you a little bit of confidence that this could be somebody who could be a benefactor in the future to your school if their student <laughs> goes there. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to be cynical, but I'm just saying, you know, it's a it thing. It sounded pretty cynical. Um, <laughs> I know. Well, you know, again, you got to forgive me because, you know, I grew up in Virginia without advantages. So I, I just know that I never had that. I went to public school all 12 years and somehow ended up, you know, um, doing all the things I'm doing. Um, I think that we should make that available to everyone. I really believe that those who have advantages, uh, we shouldn't be, you know, exploiting them. We should be sending the ladder, ladder back down. Send it down and help other people. I read 
in some material that you'd publish somewhere that um, more than 68 million websites inundate parents when they try to understand how to get their kids into the right colleges. So what would you say to parents who are listening now thinking, shit, how am I going to get my kid into college? What would you say to them? Wow. (laughs) Uh, The internet is going to frustrate you and give you a lot of contradictory information. Uh, There are some good, reliable um, sites online. I mean, obviously, um, I've got several books on this, and my books have been all for parents. So um, Four Keys to College Admission Success is on Amazon. Um, This is where I take uh, parents through um, sort of the four steps of helping a student uh, apply successfully. So uh, that's one place they could look. College Board publishes a lot of free content, and so does ACT. Um, You know, there are other, College Confidential is a very popular one. Uh, that, that is, um, you know, reliable. Um, College Express um, is another one. Uh, but then there are others that have, you know, a lot of pimple cream ads and things that, you know, you can tell that they're just trying to use yeah. this to basically sell stuff. So look out for those who are, who are clearly having a mercenary agenda. We, we are running very short of time, but have, as someone who has been through the, the high school and college grind and it's turned out extremely well but boy it's it's frustrating and annoying and it's it's you know you're living on tender hooks waiting for that acceptance letter or whatever let me tell you what i'd do if i was going to go through the college process and i'm not saying this because it's you but if i'm if i'm just somebody who's looking at going through all this again um getting a kid into college to me if you if you don't want to follow a trade is unbelievably important and I, I sounded off in this program recently about all this bullshit about um, um, if you want to be successful in tech you know quit college and go out and start a startup I mean that is just so much bullshit and so ridiculous it's unbelievable but what I would say is I'd go out and I'd get both of Pamela's books and I'm not being patronizing at all um, SWAT team tactics for getting a teen into college and four keys to college admission success, unlocking the gate to the right college for you. That would be my first step because it gives you a great overview of everything you need to know and gives you a great place to start. And books don't go to number one on the Amazon bestseller list in education for no reason. They go there because they're bloody good and people want them and read them. So... I'd get both books. Very easy to read, very easy to understand, and that could be the most important decision that you could make for your teenager. So Pamela Donnelly's books, that would be my first start. And then there's information in there that will take you further and lead you into um, other things you might want to take into consideration. So, Pamela, thank you very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, what's the best way for my listeners to get in touch with you? You know, thank you, Bob. It's been just a wonderful conversation. And and here's what I want everybody to know. Please visit me at gatecollegesystem.com and get excited with me about getting the word out to districts across America. We're looking to get this information in the hands of superintendents, chief academic officers. We want this SaaS-based platform, software as a service, in every public school across America so that every kid uh, has the information that up till now has only been available to the wealthy. And that really is my vision, my passion. So um, gatecollegesystem.com, you can get a web demo if you're connected to a district. 
find out this is my life's work, y'all. So this is what I care about. And um, yeah, feel free to get in touch there. And, um, you know, let's all just remember, um, as I always say, uh, college is a vehicle, not a destination. Thank you. As you can tell, Pamela is very passionate, extremely passionate, and she's very smart. And uh, I point you to both of those books, SWAT Team Tactics for Getting Your Teen Into College and Four Keys to College Admissions Success, Unlocking the Gate to the Right College for Your Teen. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business in just a moment. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show. And we're coming at you on Voice America Business Network, broadcasting today across the world from Hollywood Boulevard in California, where technology meets entertainment. She's pretty smart, Pamela, isn't she? That was a, you know, you can tell her passion just by listening to her. And if you really want to get your kid into college, I really recommend that you give her a call. Now, everyone's had instances where they've enthusiastically bought something, you've been out there in the store or whatever, and you buy it, you think, wow, that's great. And uh, it doesn't have to be expensive, it could be something really cheap and chintzy. And then you get home and you think, hmm, why the hell did I spend 50 bucks on that? Do I really like it? What if my wife hates it? Then what do I do? What if I like it better in a different colour? Was it the best option for me? I don't know. Jeez, there was four other brands there. I could have bought one of those. Am I likely to use it or is it going to end up in the drawer with a whole bunch of gift cards and pens that have been picked up from hotels and things, and all of a sudden, the doubts set in, and a staggering 82% of people report feeling regret or guilt over a purchase, 82%, that's an extraordinary $10 billion worth of goods a year. It can happen with something as insignificant as maybe, I don't know, a sweater or a bottle opener for that matter, or it could be as serious as a house. But what is it that causes buyer remorse? Now, when you're considering a purchase, two opposing forces are fighting for control of your decision. One, called the avoidance system, tells you to avoid risks and negative consequences. Don't go there. The other, the approach system, tells you go ahead and do whatever makes you feel happy in that moment. If if I buy that, I'm going to feel really good. So whatever's more closely aligned with your goal, that'll be the most dominant force. 
So let's say your goal is to buy a car. You're browsing a dealership one day and the salesman walks you out to a brand new shiny model that smells terrific. You get in it, you drive it around the block. Because you're driving a new car and the one you're currently driving is an older car, it always feels so much better. So sit in the car, you inhale the aroma of fresh leather. Wow, this is tremendous. You feel a heightened sense of endless possibility and excitement. You really love this car. I drive up to my friend's places in this car and I'm going to look terrific. You get caught up in the moment. So your approach system overrides your avoidance system. So what do you do? You say to him, what's the best price I can get on this car? And he gives you a price and, you know, you're saving $1,000 if you buy it now. So you ink the deal. Then you get home and uh, things start to go south. The approach system boost that you had at the dealership dies down and the avoidance system comes rushing back. Suddenly, you're confronted with all the potential consequences of your action. God, do I really like it. There's four or five other cars in the same category. Maybe I like the grill on that other one better. Maybe the other one gets more miles per gallon. I'm not sure that the upholstery is exactly what I would have bought. So you go through all these doubts. And buyer's remorse is a form of what's called cognitive dissonance. Not a hard word. Which is a period of mental discomfort caused by these conflicting benefits and attitudes. So you might start to think about how the money you spend on that car could have paid for your kid's future college tuition. You might look at competing models and well on what could have been. Surveys have shown that 70% of people who buy a new car and 44% of all new homeowners experience some level of buyer's remorse. And buyer's remorse is intensified in the age of e-commerce one-click checkouts, streamlined supply change, chains. Consumption is easier, cheaper and faster than ever before. The impulse buys, which 80% of us fall prey to, and they can pop up at 3 o'clock in the morning, so you grab the phone and you buy. And then you become to regret it easily and quickly. The fear of missing out on experience, on the other hand, is more powerful than regret regretting spending money. So this is partly because you interpret experiences to be unique, not interchangeable. So brands are well aware of this and adjusted their marketing efforts accordingly. We now live in an experience economy where material items are just material. For example, a BMW is no longer a car. It's an ultimate driving experience. It's an experience and you never want to return an experience. Now, remember, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. 
get out of the way. Let somebody get past who wants to succeed. It's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. Anybody can do the ordinary. If you want to be ordinary and boring, go right ahead. You're wasting your life. If you're always trying to be normal, you will be boring. And you'll never, ever know just how exciting and amazing that you can be. So I hope you can join me again next Tuesday when I will again be broadcasting across the world from our studios on Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California. In the meanwhile, have a great week. Continue to be successful because the alternative to success really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.